Welcome to the Smoke Pit. Today, joining us, we got Stu the Graybeard. How are you doing today? I'm well, Dan, and yourself? Doing fantastic, but I got a question for you. Do you find it slightly hypocritical that the government is making these safe places for people to do hard drugs, but they refuse to let you settle a dispute with trial by combat? Yes. I think the biggest thing is how we or you, you know, look at that that part. Um the hard drugs we're, we're just throwing at vets now, it kind of makes no sense to me because we're just throwing a, here, I'm going to give you a pill to correct the problem that's deeper, and we're not doing it. Yeah, recently we, um, actually not too recently, we've been doing this for a while now, uh, we had a, a gentleman who uh, was essentially suing his state for the right to uh, settle a disagreement with his ex-wife's attorney with a trial by combat because the, the law doesn't specifically state that it's illegal. And, um, you know, we haven't uh, really heard too much from that. I, I don't think that they took him very seriously. But, yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's it's kind of funny that you said that, you know, we're willing to throw all these opiates and at veterans and completely ignore the crisis that's going on. But, yet, you know, if two guys want to get into about a fisticuffs to decide, you know, um, border dispute, you know, like, you know, we can't even do that. Yeah, agreed. And I think the other problem is that with the VA, we're trying to stop or, or put a a bag over a, a, a epidemic that we have as veterans, you know, the 22 a day type thing. Uh, it's easier to th- here, here, take this and I'm whacked out. I can't think for myself. And people are thinking I'm, you know, out left field. What, what are we doing here? That's a good point. Like, do you think there should be a, uh, a separate window for psychiatric meds at the VA besides just the normal pharmacy windows? Like, I think there's a difference. Like, are you here? Cause you have high blood pressure or do you see goblins? Yes. And the reason I say that is I'd like to be separated from the average people getting pills because I don't want them seeing certain things. You know how stigma is. Yeah. You see me get a pill that's supposed to um, calm you down or, or put you on the evil plane. So I don't need the people behind me saying, oh, that guy's on that type of pill or that guy's on that type of pill because his demons are sitting on his ears. Not <laughs> where he should be, you know? Yeah, I feel like if you're at the VA, that's like the one place where you'll probably be judged the least for stuff like that, though. Do you agree with that? Yes and no. And the reason I say this is because our big VA hospital is Fayetteville. Um, and I've been up there quite a few times. And the thing is that the stories you hear and the people, what they say and all that stuff, obviously, they don't know what my background is. Yeah. And they go, they go, you know, what about this? Or they, they play it to the role. And you come to find out, you probably can do the same. If I look at somebody, I can tell one if you've been downrange. Two, what type of unit you've been in just by the look on your face or the demeanor, how you talk or how you present yourself. And it's just amazing because sometimes you want to go, no, that's not right. No, no, that's not right. Well, I like to think that I'm a, a bit of a contradiction to that stigma because, you know, I, I was a grunt for, for 12 years. I did five yeah. deployments and I feel like I'm a pretty happy go lucky guy. I always tell people, it's like, you know, none of my accomplishments take away from yours and none of yours take away from mine. And yeah. so, you know, the, the, the whole posturing idea that we've talked about before on the, the smoke pit is that I do feel like sometimes because, you know, I do like to joke and smile and see the, the best in a bad situation. I feel like I have to wear that, that hat with the ribbon stack on it to get any sort of respect at the VA. Yeah. It's, no, you, I agree. And I, we found over my, you know, I obviously spent 26 years in the Marine Corps. So when people ask me what you did and how you did this and how you did that, I, I, I'm very vague about what I did because everybody wants to one-up you sometimes. Yeah. The worst, and you know, you know this, a shot show. 
you see everybody with their operator garb on and all this yep. stuff. And, you know, they're like, yeah, it was a, everybody's a recon sniper seal. Where is that an MOS? I have no idea. There's only 341 recon snipers since the 0321 MOS came out in 99. Still present. But everybody you talk to, there's thousands of them. So how, how is that? Right away, you, you're pulling yeah. the flag. I'm, I'm throwing the yellow flag. <laughs> part of it is you know the the, the energy that, that we put out there because i feel like if i if i start a conversation and you know it's clear that i don't care what you did in the military you know i'm just happy that you're here you know i'm, I'm happy to be working with you on whatever we got going on whether it be legislation or whether it be an interview or whatever the case then i think that kind of kind of puts people at ease a little bit like they don't feel the immediate compulsion to try to like justify their service and you know justify their existence no at the end of the day too be proud you served your country I don't care if you were a mail clerk or, you know, you were a, whatever, a chief of staff. The piece is that you served your country. That alone is, is kudos, man. I feel like uh, people will get a little bit removed from the situation and they'll forget just how much shit we talked to each other when we were uh, in the same unit. You know, yeah, you have the people on the Internet that, you know, they can't take a joke. But, you know, if it was in person, you know, they, they'd be cutting up as much as everyone else. But because... You know, there is that, that, that level of separation where they feel like they have to justify themselves. Otherwise, they won't be taken seriously. Their hackles go up and now they're on the defense. And it's just like, dude, I was just joking around, man. Like, it's it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, again, don't take me serious. One, I'm trying to put entertainment into what I'm doing. Yeah, which you've done very well. Uh, it, and the thing is, some of these people look at is they're trying to justify their being now. OK, you're out of the military. I get it. You don't need to justify your being. That's why you <laughs> wake up in the morning. I tell you, it's my style, everybody. When you wake up in the morning and go to the shit shower and shave, if you can't smile yourself in the mirror, go back to bed. Try it again. Get back, do it again. Yeah, smile, smile a little bit. But be nice. That's all you need to do. And people miss that. I don't know why or how. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to do is to put people on the spot. Stu, justify your existence. What did you do in the Marine Corps? Yeah, and I tell everybody I was a culinary art specialist. <laughs> People that know me say know the, know the real deal. But it, again, it, it takes away that what I was I was going to do it then, or I was going to look, dude. You had the same opportunity I did back then. Yeah, I elected to go this direction. You elected to go that direction, brother man. How did your knees last for twenty six years? That that's the real thing I want to know. That's the real classified state secret. Okay, I'll tell you. You get them replaced. Really? Yeah. So my left knee is to a total replacement. My right knee is pretty good. But, yeah. Um, I had so you're part cyborg is what I'm hearing. Uh, yeah, well, we'll do a quick analysis of Stu's breakdown. I, <laughs> neck, I broke my neck. Yeah. Both my shoulders have been repaired four times each. I have ruptured both triceps and both biceps. Jeez. I've had my knee replaced twice. I've had my thumb rebuilt, and I've had my elbow rebuilt. Bro, take a day off. Like. <laughs> I do not drink. I drink and hang out in my pool now. <laughs> so I'm done. I'm yeah, what, now. yeah, now that you're not, uh, you know, living the expeditious life anymore that, uh, you know, clearly took its toll. What do you do for fun? Uh, swim and hang out with my wife and my dogs. Nice. What kind of dogs you got? I have four now. I have a, I have a yellow lab, Jake from State Farm, and he doesn't wear khakis. And <laughs> I have two service dogs that I train when I had my other company. Uh, Zazu and Mika, they're, they're a Malinois and Australian cattle mix. Yeah. And I just got a Belgian Shepherd from a couple who couldn't, did not realize when you get a Malinois of any sort or Belgium of any sort, high tempo, a lot of energy, and they are funny as hell. 
you don't mow that, guess what? Your house is destroyed because I love to chew. And so I have, I have Woody now, and he acts like a Woody. Just like the guy <laughs> with horse. He falls all over. It's just, he's a trip. He's eight months old. And he's a blast. Right on. So what are you doing these days? Uh, and I, I'm assuming that you said you were retired. So um... I am. Yeah. Uh, the past two years, I was actually um, working for a healthcare company. I was running a healthcare company out of Wilmington. Doing in-home care service for veterans as well as Medicaid, uh, Medicare and Medicaid uh, clients. And I got burnt out, dude. I just got totally burnt out, so it was a change. And obviously, you know, I, I know quite a few people in this industry, and here I am. Right on. Well, I, I completely sympathize with the idea of uh, being burnt out. Uh, a lot of listeners may not have realized this, but I've had a bit of a rough year. I had my uh, gallbladder removed. I moved halfway across the country. Uh, you know, with everything that's been going on um, in the world, that coupled with you know trying to get legislation passed, I got engaged. It's just been a whirlwind. So I, you know, I have been trying to to take a little bit of a break for myself. And I, you know, I asked too. I was like, hey man, like you know you. You know, you you have spent enough time in our our beloved gun club, you know, to you know, to to know what's what. Would you mind helping me uh, with the smoke pit a little bit? And Stu was gracious enough to uh, to come on, and we've you know we've had uh, a bevy of, of fantastic guests over the years. Um, you know, we've had everything from you know uh, gold medal um, winners from the Olympics to congressmen, to best selling authors, Grammy winners. Um, you know, just the. Uh, you know, a whole slew of amazing guests and we've had some great hosts we've had some not so great hosts <laughs> yeah 10%. but you know it's people are people are busy and you know i, I appreciate Stu, that you, you know you're you're coming on board uh to to help us carry the uh the legacy of the smoke pit yeah and uh, believe me i'm honored and humbled uh to kind of carry that torch and and try to put it in a different perspective obviously um you, you own this this is your this is your baby I'm just here kind of uh, in a stroller watching and, and be able to grow up and make it work better. You know? Yeah, because anybody who's been around since the first episode, uh, which, you know, a little bit of an Easter egg in the very first line I ever said in the smoke pit, I messed it up. You know, I said, welcome back to the smoke pit. Uh, but it was our first episode, so there was no welcome back. It was just uh, it was just a, a blooper. Uh, yeah. But anybody who's been around since then knows how much the show has changed, where it started off with, you know, um, you know, two guys just uh, kicking back cracking a few beers, just cutting it up, talking about the most crazy things ever. And then, you know, once we started to get a larger audience, once we started to get more uh, recognition, started to be syndicated in more countries, um, you know, we started growing a little bit of a conscious and the show kind of changed where we do like to joke around and, you know, really maintain that, that classic uh, smoke pit humor. But uh, nowadays it's a, it's a little bit more mature in the fact where, you know, we like to bring on guests who have accomplished great things to hear their story. We like to to tell, you know, fascinating tales of success or catastrophe. Um, we like to talk about things that matter in addition to, you know, talking about how, you know, how much we regret that one hookup that one night back in, in our 20s. One of the great things that, that Stu has is um, a large network of contacts of people who have succeeded in all different types of uh, ventures, both press uh, professionally and personally. And so I really look forward to seeing the kind of interviews and uh, the one-on-one -on -one interactions and the wealth of knowledge that you'll be able to bring to our listeners. Well, I appreciate that. And I think too, keeping the standard with, you know, some of your key pieces, like your veteran owned small businesses, 
you know, hero of the week. Um, remember when? When I'm looking at players, you know, where are they now? The guys you serve, don't you kind of wonder? You know, Lance Corporal Smuckatelli and, and Dan were hanging out in such and such in Afghanistan, and just the stories or the jokes or the the experience that the listeners can relate to, yeah, without getting too much in the garbage. You know, just yourself, and here's what I, you know, be proud of it, and then. From there, hopefully, it transitions to somebody who's kind of got the similar thing and wants to know what's going on. Hope it works out. Yeah, that's that's uh that's ultimately the goal. So, yeah. I do have a, a very important question uh, before before we get too much into the uh, the technical aspects. Sure. So, say hypothetically, ghosts exist, right? Do you think that they stay in the clothes that they died in, or do you think it's kind of like Star Wars, where you get like you know, put in like your best, most iconic outfit. And what would you prefer? Like comfort versus appearance, you know, like, like walk me through your mentality on that. Well, it's weird you say this because in college we had a, our fraternity Sigma Pi. Uh, we had a, we had a spirit, a Maggie. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And the weird part about it is there's been a couple pictures taken, especially in the wintertime or in a third story window dressed in the clothes that she was in because she, she died in the house. Of the so me, I'd like to have a tank top and a thong on. That's what I want to have <laughs> when I die. So and there's this, this, that old guy, <laughs> those tattoos is recognizable. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird question, but I guess it's up to you personally. What, what's going to make you feel better in the afterlife? That's the thing. What's going to make you smile in the afterlife that you smile today? Yeah, I, I personally like to think that um, despite not being um, period accurate whatsoever, I would just like a full pirate ensemble from like head to toe. Like whatever you think of like a swashbuckling privateer, just whatever you think that is, I just, just want like that full head to toe, but I'd still want to talk like I do now. So like I'd come out of the, the fog and somebody would see me as like a pirate and I'd just be like, what's up, dudes? And they're like... Yeah. Aren't you a pirate? I'm like, yeah, this is just how pirates oh, no. talk. Me hardy. I mean, hardy. No, it, that's what's cool about it is, again, something you'd want to have to wear when you're in the afterlife. It's just, you know, the, the, I think that's a big, a big question you're asking to try to get a, a kind of a small detail. But again, I'd like to be in a tank top and a thong and I'm happy. And I'm sure people around me won't want to mess with me when I'm dead, just like that. Say what the weirdo. Yeah, you wouldn't want uh, you know, some uh, some ghost hunting TV show or, or podcast to be bothering you. Yeah, drinking a, drinking a Coors Light or a Michelob Ultra on the couch. Like, what's this Tyron Norum doing here? No, I got to ask you, is that for the flavor or for the calories? Because if you're a ghost, you know, do you, do you think you just go for full Coors because you don't have to worry about the calories? You know, and, and this is going to be probably, I'm a, I'm a, a vodka guy. Yeah, when I'm gonna sit and drink. I drink vodka, but when I'm gonna sit by my pool, relax, have a few cocktails, make a little water, it's just okay. It's the calories, yeah. It's the calories for me. Right now. <laughs> it's it's easy to drink. I can drink a case of beer and not get drunk on it. You know, so yeah, that's because you're part cyborg. That's why. Yeah, no kidding. Five in the morning, I had this oil pan. So inside of my bed, it's got a little needle and it's like an IV. Yeah, I stick it in the side of my neck and it goes through my body so I can get out of bed. Kind of like okay. I can move now. It gets tough. It's tough getting out of bed these days. <laughs> but it's, you know, 
I tell you, I would never change my career for anything. My wife might want me to, uh, but I've never changed. I was very selfish, and I always want to achieve uh, the highest thing I could achieve in the Marine Corps, which in rank I did. Yeah. But a lot of things I, I did on a personal reason, not professionally. I, I, I was training X, you know. What is X? I don't know. I was, I was trained to do it. So. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> And so we mentioned it earlier in the show, you have a, um, uh, a gray beard brand of your own. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So basically everybody's in the, in the, you know, certain parts of the military, you're called the gray, um, gray beard guys. So we kind of came up with a gray beard veteran, um, brand, you know, kind of do swag and then take some of that monies, uh, that are there yeah. and put it into, you know, the foundations at the end of the day, I don't, I do this for free. Um, I'm more worried about the guys today that are getting out transitioning. How can they, you know, get the right help? It's going to cost money. Yeah. So those foundations can have that, give that money to them to make their foundations better and bigger. You know, I'm about taking care of us. Trying to install the wisdom of the ages. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of foundations that do phenomenal things throughout all the services to include uh, law enforcement responders. But the problem I have is they, they say they're going to give all this money to X, but oh, they didn't give 13% of the administrative fees. No. If you all that to them, they get it all. You figure out your administrative fees somewhere, and that's why the Graybeard vet uh, working on is kind of going to do that. Right on. So uh, one of the things that we are excited about is that, um, you know, we have our studio set up. Uh, we finally got cameras and, um, and and all that. I know that we, we've been promising the Smoke Pit fans that for, for quite some time. But kind of once we start um, uh, transitioning more into the future, we're going to actually have like multi-camera, switchboard, uh, video, like full featured uh, type episodes that will be available for, for YouTube. Because uh, we actually have like a nice little professional space, uh, a studio that, you know, we can bring uh, distinguished guests in. And so they don't they don't feel as bad, you know, the little trade secret. The majority of the first couple seasons of the smoke pit were just filmed in my dining room. Yeah. Um, we stapled a bunch of uh, sound panels up on the wall to make it look nice. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was funny because, you know, you, you consider some of the guests that we have. And it, now you think about how they were just sitting in my, my, my dining room uh, on the, uh, on right. the smoke pit. And well, that's where I'm at. I'm in the sound room here, as you can see behind me. Yeah. And got all the cameras and lightings over here. Way out of my bailiwick. I just am told to sit down, look at that thing and just talk. That's what they tell me to do. Well, we, uh, we definitely uh, expect big things in the future. Uh, so uh, that cool. being said, are, is there anything else that you'd like to leave our, our listeners with uh, before we uh, conclude this first portion of the uh, the Stu Graybeard Chronicles on the Smoke Pit Podcast? I'm just honored to be here, uh, honored to to talk to you. I mean, uh, and grateful that an individual your status has taken what you've started and make it uh, and making that awareness to people and having people have that outlet to talk to. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you and I did our time and, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least try to make things a little bit better for those who are coming after us. Correct. I totally, totally believe that. And I think, you know, helping more to transition the, 
trying to help uh, suicide awareness, trying to help the, the low monies that these military and law enforcement guys are getting who protect our country as well as our counties. So, I mean, yeah, if, if one person we can at least get them out of a hole, we've accomplished something and that's what we want to do. Yeah. Well, not so long ago, we uh, received a DM from somebody who was saying, Hey, a year ago, you guys released this podcast episode. Uh, it was called a uh, good guy with a gun. And uh, we brought on a, um, a SWAT officer who uh, essentially just kind of walked us through his advice for people in active duty, uh, active shooter situations. And, you know, if you're concealed carrying and something happens, you know, not only how to to deal with that, but then how to think through it and increase your survivability for when the the uniform law enforcement officers show up. So that way they don't just assume that you're the bad guy. And it was a really fantastic episode. And uh, we got this DM from somebody who's like, yeah, you know, I was listening to this show at 3 a.m. in, in my uh, uh, while I was on duty. And it just got me thinking about how I would deal with this and how my fellow police officers would deal with an active shooter. And then something happened and we were able to respond and and uh, and uh, take out the threat and keep people safe. And he's like, you know, we, I appreciate it because, you know, your your podcast put me in that mindset. And it was kind of mind blowing, you know, like what are the yeah. chances that somebody listens to that? And then just shortly afterwards are in the very circumstance that we were talking about in that show. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a good thing, too, because I'm with that episode, uh, the, the good guy with a gun that the officers know. By them thinking about it, like, oh, let's kind of reassess it. Let's split second and reassess: is this guy bad or is he good? And because of your podcast, it made him think before he actually took action to the who's carrying a concealed weapon. You know, it, it's hard for cops today. I don't care what anybody yeah. says. It's tough. You've got to go on a split second and make a decision. People, you know, especially an active shooter. Oh my god! I mean, it's it's total chaos, uncontrolled. You know, and these guys got to do a great job. The assessment situation, what's my second, third world effects? Where's my round going to go? You know, do I need to take a knee? How do I get this? How do I stop this? You know, but the tactics and techniques that the law enforcement have have been proven throughout years of the military and stuff like that combined to give them the, what they call the IBT, initial based tactics. Yeah, it's just a, a small part of, uh, of, of the overall effort that we would like to contribute. And, you know, we thank all of our listeners for you know, being a, a part of this and, you know, to uh, giving us feedback and letting us know what they like and, you know, what they want to see in the future. And so, Stu, I'm, I'm excited to, to have you on board for that. Uh, any other thoughts you have before we get out of here? I uh, know, sir. Uh, just remember, we wake up in the morning, get shit, shower, and shave, and you can't smile yourself in the mirror, go back to bed, man, try it again. <laughs> you know, come on. Oh, yeah, that, that, I mean, if you if you can afford to, you know. A lot of people yeah. like myself will will wait to the last possible second to get out of bed. I don't have time to get back in bed if, I, if I'm not happy with what I see in the mirror. Well, what's good about being retired is that I can, I'm gonna, no, I'll stay in bed this morning. Or I don't want to get, you know, stay awake till three o'clock in the morning. No. But again, you know, life play and you have to figure out how to circumvent that and make it so you as the individual are happy because if you can't be happy, you can't make people around you happy. I'm sure your your fiance, she's kind of like, yeah, that's true. When Dan gets that moment, he's like, yeah. I'll go oh, I am right I am a peach. I am an absolute delight. <laughs> I'm sure we talk to her and she gets on live. She'd be like, well, you know, once he gets his coffee. Well. Oh, she's been on the podcast a few times. I'm not hiding anything there. Yeah, I mean, I'll have my wife on it as well. You know, she can talk to 
you figure 26 years, five meds, three contingencies, three combat tours, and then some other smaller shit. I was gone. And my loving wife yeah. stuck by my side. Here's right on, man. Thanks, and we definitely look forward to, to having you having you on more often. Uh, don't go anywhere, though. Uh, coming up next, we have an interview with a Marine that I served with uh, back the last few years before I got out. So it's uh, a fun little conversation with two old uh, two old friends catching up uh, with some positive messages in there sprinkled throughout, particularly when it comes to assessing the difficulties that service members have when transitioning out of the uh, the service. So don't go anywhere. Stu, thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Hi, Dan. Thanks. This episode of The Smoke Pit is brought to you by Espeto. Technical to tactical, we got you covered. Speaking of which, make sure you check out Tactical Fridays on our social media channels and Gear Monday on popsmokemedia.com. There you can find all kinds of gear reviews, news, stories, and updates to keep you informed. Joining us today, we have Matthew Westbury. He is a former Marine and somebody that I actually spent the last few years of my career serving alongside. How are you doing today? Hi. I'm glad to be here, uh, doing fantastic, and I uh, appreciate the invite to come on your uh, your podcast here and talk a little bit. For sure. Uh, you and I, um, you know, we're both connoisseurs of fresh, uh, freshly shaven faces and high in tights uh, back when we first met many, many moons ago. Yeah, high in tights and uh, a lot of yelling knife hands and uh, military jargon, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it actually wasn't that long ago that we met. I, I think it was, what, about 10 years ago? And then uh, we, we were in the same unit for probably, what, two, three years, maybe more? About till 2016, yeah. And then we still continued this awesome relationship we have here. Yeah, we uh, we were definitely in, a, in an interesting unit. It was kind of a, a bit different than most of the places that you see in the, in the Marine Corps. We had our small little schoolhouse then. Uh, you know, we had our, our live, uh, our live fire line, you know, maybe like two miles away. Mm -hmm. Um, we were on a Navy base, our rifle range where we called was maybe about an hour, maybe 50 minutes away on another Navy base. And our headquarters was about an hour or so North, um, on yet another, uh, I think Navy base. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's correct. We were at, uh, NSA Northwest Annex. Uh, it, it was it was kind of crazy because uh, when we had to do our, our swim call, we had to go to yet another uh, Navy base, uh, NSA Oceana, uh, to borrow their pool. So it was it was it was a lot different than than what we're used to. But I, I think we managed. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an interesting setup that they had over there. Um, but for the most part, to cater to a regiment that's filled with five thousand Marines concentrated within a ten to twenty mile radius is pretty impressive. And. Uh, uh, so I, I rounded out my career working as the, um, the, the S3 NCO and uh, spent about half of that time as the, uh, the range NCO down there in our, our little short line and down in Guantanamo Bay. And you were over there on the, uh, the other side of, of the company office over there in the, uh, the S1. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's correct. Um, I was the, for a little bit, I was the staff and COIC acting for the administrative section for training company, as well as a little bit of range time, a little bit of martial arts instructor, but for the most part yeah. in the admin shop. Yeah, this, uh, this man was captain do it all. Uh, he was the company guide. He was the company bus driver. He, uh, he had a martial arts instructor tab. He was a range coach like this. This man could not, uh, 
you could not get enough collateral duties. Um, <laughs> so I, I remember that one of uh, my favorite things about that was being able to walk over to the other side because there's kind of a uh, a set of conference rooms that that uh, that divided us in, in an office and a conference room. And so mm-hmm. I'd, I'd walk over to your side where all the higher ups were. And I would just talk about the most ridiculous shit to try to get you in trouble, uh, try to get you distracted, uh, bring up crazy conversation. And I, I always, it was kind of like one of those like meters in a video game where like you try to push it all the way up to the, the green turns to yellow and then back off right before it turns to red. Yeah, you uh, you had a bad habit of coming in at the most inopportune times, especially when the first sergeant just got back from chow. The CEO's coming straight out of meetings from lunch and uh, we'll talk about, hey, buddy. So uh, guess what one of these students did over in the barracks? Uh, <laughs> or yeah. be like, hey, uh, you know, what's up? What was up with your football team last night? And you'd be like, you know, that's son of a bitch O-line coach or or whatever the case was. <laughs> I get you on some rant. Just push it so, enough until the first starting to come out to, to, to yell at you and I'd scurry away. He'd look directly at you, say, hey, stop distracting my admin chief here. You need to go back <laughs> to your other side. Hey, Sergeant Westbury, let me talk to you for a second. And I'd give yeah. you the eye and it's going with the shit. <laughs> yeah, I um, I, I remember that that was a fun last couple years. I think the last year mm-hmm. or two specifically, because I, I would show up at like 10, 11 a.m. and like PT attire. Because uh, at that point, like I'd done five deployments, you know, I had a stack mm-hmm. of VA appointments. I, you know, I, I had done anything and everything they could possibly have asked me to do. I never got in trouble. And so I was like, what are they going to do? Send me back to Afghanistan. And they're like, all right, well, you at least need, need a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. It just like, I got, got one like two weeks ago. Just a little bit longer, a little bit more wavier. And, yeah. uh, Finally, just came into the uh, to the flowing locks in a, a low fade. And see, I, I think the reason I was able to do that is because when I first got there, you know, I I really put the um uh, put put the effort in in such a way mm-hmm. where you know the old adage perception is reality. Re- realistically, everything that they wanted me to do in the in the S three, I could do within an hour. All like the filling out paperwork and they gave me a bunch of collateral duties too. Like I was like the ammo NCO, like I had to request ammo and like Tamis and all this weird shit that I wasn't qual- legally qualified to do. I had to like dispatch <laughs> vehicles, but I wasn't, you know, the motor T, you know, just when, when you're the op sergeant, you're kind of the, the catch all for, for a lot of things. And, uh, you know, so I, I could do everything I needed to do within maybe an hour. But the problem was, is that I wouldn't get the shit that I needed from people uh, until you know, yep. buckshot throughout the day. And so I'm like, if I could just have all the information that I needed in the beginning of the day, I could be done in an hour, but all that was just never the case. And so I had to figure out how do I make myself look busy for eight hours <laughs> and work for one hour so I can complete my, you know, nine, 10, 11 hour you know, meritorious Marine Corps day. And one of my favorite things to do was I would just get a clipboard with a roster and I would just power walk around the company office like I was pissed <laughs> off at something. Walk fast and look busy is yeah. the mantra of mid-time Marine Corps when you're not doing anything but need to look important. Yeah. And, you know, when when we uh, would get our evaluations or I'd overhear people talking about me, you know, like, oh, yeah, sorry, Sharp, he always looks like he's busy. And I'm like, I, I was trying to keep you all from finding dumb shit for me to do. <laughs> like, I did all my work already, but you guys won't let us, like, leave. You know, or it would be just like the most random shit. I'm like, hey, can I leave? They're like, no, no, but what if, what if, what if, what if? I'm like, nothing's going to happen. And then the phone rings 
And then it's just like, oh, yeah, I, I graduated two years ago and I never submitted my fiscal qualification and I'm going to lose my clearance. And then I have to go through two fucking years of fiscal records to find one fucking asshole Lance Corporal's pistol qual from two years ago. Because he's all the way over on the East Coast or the West Coast. Yeah, the West and Coast. Basic, basically gotten out of uh, of the security forces regiment scope and is now has to go qual again only to find out that he wasn't exempt and now he is delinquent yeah and so it always be some shit like that or like they they you know because our regiment was in like road to spain they were um, oh yeah in guantanamo they they were overseas yep. as well and so like they would call us on their time so it would be like eight o'clock in the morning nine o'clock in the morning in road to spain bro mm-hmm. that ain't the time back here <laughs> <laughs> yep and then I get an ask many... email like, "Why isn't everybody anybody ever in your shop?" I'm like, "Bro, you sent this email at like four like four a.m. Like, I haven't even got home times, from the bar yet." How many times it had been from Yakuska, Japan, over there just asking urgent stuff that you you really it's Friday over there they got somebody on duty scrambling because somebody needs orders for something and they're not appropriately qualified and the only person they can get it back to is you. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, it it's definitely interesting when when you're kind of not uh, near the flagpole, if you will, if you're kind of in a, a unit <laughs> that is out there alone and unafraid. You know, a lot of a lot of the rules don't exactly uh, apply the same way. Uh, just like I remember uh, the last day of every uh, June and the last day of every December, and I don't mean like the last day of the work week or the or the last day before we take leave, like the very last day of each month, like the <laughs> you know, like thirty first of December. I have like the company first sergeant, uh, the gunny, the CO, the XO, like three of the uh, the shop chiefs and uh, officers out there trying to take their CFT or their PFT, so that way it can be dated still within the the time period. And then you know, it didn't matter when I run it as long as it was dated for you know within the a lot of time period. I'm sitting there, I'm like, y'all motherfuckers really had six months to do this, and y'all made everyone else do the PFT back in February. Y'all made everyone else do the CFT back five months ago, but y'all are out here literally waiting to the last day to get your shit done. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's the CO, the XO, the ops chief, and then anybody that's in charge of uh, student training, the, the senior staff and CEOs come out. They're like, hey, uh, Sergeant Sharp, uh, you want to roll over and set up this CFT course real quick? Uh, I'll give you about 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm just like Roger moving. Oh man, they had you doing everything. Everything that they could get me. I I was squirrely, you know, like I I would grease myself uh, intentionally just to to be hard to pin down. And, you know, I I always knew that there was always going to be some dumb shit going on. So I always kind of had some like, you know, like dental appointment or like therapy or chiropractor or something just kind of scheduled intermittently. Right. So that way, whenever (laughs) something come up, they're like, hey, we need you to go to do this. I'm like, why? I've had this appointment on the roster for like six months. And it, that's mm-hmm. kind of like the kryptonite, you know, like, oh, you want me not to go to dental? They're like, no, like the, the mission will fail. Yeah. The mission will fail. Our rosters, our quota. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me get your perspective on this. Um, I, I I remember thinking that uh, it, it's kind of funny that you have dudes who are about to deploy to, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan or maybe go to Germany or, you know, wherever the case and you know they're like a day or two out and then somebody will come down and be like no you have to get your teeth cleaned otherwise you can't go to mm. war <laughs> hey uh hey guys so i know you're about to you got all your stuff packed right 
Roger Massart. You got uh, you got your weapon checked out from the army. Everything good? Yes, Massart. Well, I see here on the S3 roster, you, sir, not in compliance. I'm going to need you to go down to dental. Massart, we got movement in like hour and a half. Yeah, about that. I already talked but to you your advisors. <laughs> you better run, sir, run. Better not, better not be late to that vote. Yeah, either that or be like a, a suicide prevention class or like the commandant would be like, I want everybody to get a, a brief that you're supposed to drink tea with your pinky out before they can go on the <laughs> on the holiday leave block or the oh. Thanksgiving 96. And I'm like, really? I got to download this PDF and like teach an entire class this random ass safety brief so these grown war fighters can, you know, go have a few beers on vacation. It was all about uh, cyber awareness, though. Hey, you can't go. Hey, 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 devils. You remember we got our Christmas 96 coming up here in a couple of days, but uh, <laughs> I feel 98% of the company's out of compliance with cyber awareness. But you might want to go find out where uh, Ricky the Rat's over there trying to get your information. <laughs> so, brother, man, uh, you know, uh, enough of, uh, you know, two old salt dogs uh, just uh, reminiscing about the good old days. You mm-hmm. got out of the Marine Corps about two years ago. I thought you were going to be Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. I was supposed to be Sergeant Major in the Marine Corps. I mean, you but... had to look like you were tall, you were muscular, <laughs> you know, kind of dark complexion, like you had everything. I mean, the way everything was going, it was the sky was the limit as soon as I got the rocker. I was bright eyed and bushy tailed. And yep. then I check in from Tico into into a deploying fleet unit. And uh, a lot of things, a lot of things changed. Uh, eyesight perspective changed. Demands went up and it uh, it kind of it kind of overall uh, had me focused more or less not on Sergeant Major and Marine Corps, but what it was about to be a staff and CO. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think that was kind of like the, um, the, the, the big decision? Cause once you get to a staff and CO, you know, you're essentially a careerist. I mean, technically you're a careerist mm-hmm. as a Sergeant in the Marines, but um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, what do you, what do you think really led to the decision that, you know, you've invested so much time and energy, you know, you, the Marine Corps moved you all over the world, and, you know, you got a family, you know, what, what led to that decision in your, in your, your headspace that uh, made you want to give it all up and get out? So I wouldn't necessarily say it was in my time. It was in the Marine Corps time. Um, unfortunately, not all careers are perfect. Not everybody's perfect in the Marine Corps, um, but we do what we can with what we have. Uh, the Marine Corps ultimately decided that uh, my career was not uh, of value to them anymore, and then gave me a uh, gave me a thank you letter and uh, walking papers. And eerily enough, uh, something fairly similar happened to me. It uh, it it seemed that a lot of sergeants and uh, and staff NCOs that uh, you know had been around for you know the height of you know the the Marine Corps' busiest years within recent memory. You know, they were, they were kind of, uh, unmeritoriously, uh, shown the door. And mm-hmm. so once you're in that position where, you know, you, you have you know, your entire life is set up in a certain way, you know, you're used to getting that haircut every Sunday. You're used to, you know, yep. buying razors in bulk. You're used to, you know, having your, your uniform prepped every Friday for Charlie's. And then you kind of, you, you face that moment where there's kind of that realization that's just like, this isn't going to be my life anymore. Like, yeah. um, you know, where, where was your headspace with that? And just kind of like, was it a relief? Was it something that was daunting? And then just kind of walk us through that as, as how, like you prepared yourself as like, you know, mm-hmm. a proud staff at CO, a proud Marine, a family man, 
just kind of like walk us through your headspace as far as like the where you where you were when it became clear that it was time to get out so we'll have to go back and i'll make it quick and short um because i know time is valuable see that's why they kicked you out staff and ceos are supposed to be long-winded <laughs> Again, it, it, it was 2019 um, around, I'd say March, April. And I got, I got an email from a monitor saying, Hey, you're, you look like you're a mover. I'm like, okay, cool. So he asked me where I wanted to go. I was like, well, what choices do I have? He said, well, with your limitations right now, because of your family situation, you either can get Quantico or you can get uh, Lejeune and go to the Marsoc recruiting office. I was like, well, Quantico doesn't look like a career progression for me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and choose uh, the Marsoc. He's like, fine, done deal. Submit your reenlistment papers and you'll, uh, you'll be good. I'll talk back to you in a while. I'm on the road show. It's like, all right. Um, so I went and I submitted my papers in June ish, July ish. And I had to go on leave. Um, I come back from leave. I find out I have to make a signature real quick, send the papers up. And then I hear absolutely nothing after I emailed the monitor saying, hey, submitted my papers. I uh, said, give me about 30 days, still on the road trip. Contact me in August of 2019 at the time. So uh, long story short, I email him about 30 days later. He said, hey, you need to contact your career planner. They'll have all the information they, they need. They need some stuff from you. So I go to my career planner. He's like, hey, looks like you, your reenlistment, your reenlistment got denied, um, but it's not certain yet. It hasn't come through, um, but we should know here in about a couple of weeks. And sure enough, in uh, two weeks later, I got, the, uh, I got the notification. I came to the career planner's office and they're like, yeah, you got 60 days in the books. Uh, your EAS is in January you need to make a decision. And I had roughly 90 days to figure out uh, pretty much packing up my family, getting everything taken care of, packed up military wise and go to TAPS class, all that good stuff. So really it was about a four month evolution that I had to prepare myself to exit uh, the Scarlet and Gold facility. So and where were you stationed at the time? So I was stationed in Camp Pendleton. I worked on uh Wilcox range for a familiar face that you would know Gunnar Schneider. Yeah. And so the, the thing is, is that like, uh, you and, uh, and your wife are not from Southern California. And so the Marine Corps essentially was just like, Hey, we know you have all these big plans. You probably either have a lease or a mortgage or whatever the case is, but Hey, you got three to four months before you need to figure out, you know, you like, you don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. And that, that is correct. It, uh, it pretty much was a serious conversation that I had to have with myself, um, first and foremost, because I'm the one who has to lead this charge. And then uh, with my wife, uh, basically how we plan to move our family and our son and where we're going to go. And so like, uh, what, what was it like when you kind of had to have that, like, uh, that, like you mentioned the conversation with yourself that it's like, all right, like I have to shift gears. There's not going to be that, you know, military tricare first and 15 safety net. The conversation uh, for me personally was, all right, I'm still a Marine at heart. I got to focus on what my mission is. My mission isn't going to North Carolina because now those that's out the window. Um, I have to focus on where do we feel that it would be the best place, if temporary, if at all, that we could we could survive. There's no thriving at this point. It's more or less where can we be stable as a family? And it, and it, uh, this decision was to come back up to Washington state. 
you kind of approach that with like a met team mindset where you know like you you were just kind of like all right you know how do i how do i logistically support this that that's correct um just moving a four bedroom house a dog <laughs> a child um and then packing up all my military gear within 90 days per se getting tmo scheduled all this stuff that people get a one whole year even a year and a half to plan for was was pretty pretty mind-boggling and and Ultimately, it was stressful, but uh, we ended up making it happen. For sure, man. And um, so, looking looking back at it, uh, what do you think that the uh, the military could do better to not put you know people who have given you know a decade of their life in service to put them under such uh, constraints? What I think the military could do, um, the Marine Corps, any any service branch in general, uh, what they could do for for those. Obviously, every Marine matters, every soldier matters, every airman matters. Anybody who served and signed that contract to do something, they all matter. Um, people who have a large amount of their life supported towards the mission, um, I would say from those who are careerists would help those who are careerists uh, help them transition, at least be have a support network on the way out like they do with new Marines coming in, because really it was hey, we don't think you're a part of the mission anymore. We understand that you got bigger and better things you're going to. Here's where you go. Here's who you talk to. But the support was yourself and maybe whoever you knew in the process. That makes sense, man. And um, uh, so do you do you think that um, there should be like a, a mandatory amount of time that they're even allowed, regardless of what your contract is, if something comes mm-hmm. up like last minute, you know, cause it, it is not an uncommon story. Like, I don't know about you, but when I was going through my separations and transition class, you know, they'd be like, all right, you know, so who's getting out within the next six months, the majority of the class would raise their hand and, you know, they'd whittle all the way down. And there was always at least a handful of people who were getting out that week. Yep. And so do you think that like, the um, does that, you know, does that burden fall? Should that come to some sort of legality where legally they're not able to, you know, kick you out? Or, you know, where do you think the, the spread lies between the, you know, there are the people who just realistically won't know they're getting out until last minute. And then there's the people who wait to the last minute to try to schedule those classes. I think it's a middle ground because for in, in similar to my situation, I know I'm not the only one that, hey, life comes at you fast. And then those that are pressured to stay for command mission and then end up not getting taken care of. Um, and end up being last minute Lucy's. Uh, I believe that there, there is, or was when I was getting out that my gunner shout out gunner Schneider, if you're listening, um, made sure that all his Marines had this within a window given like prior to six months, like at the nine month mark, you're going to go. And then if you're at six months and you still haven't decided you're going to go again, uh, kind of make it a, a standpoint that this is a task that the command has to take to make sure they take care of their Marines. And again, Marine Corps is going to take care of itself. Mission is going to happen no matter what one person, if it's one person that the mission fails on, then the command hasn't done its job. Yeah, that is a damn good point. Um, at the end of the day, the military will replace you. Uh, the moment you get shot in the face, uh, somebody else will step up and take your billet and uh, an organization that, uh, you know, asks, you know, for you to not only be prepared for that to happen to you, but be prepared to step up if that happens to the person above you. I think that, yeah, perhaps they should spend a little bit more time uh, preparing you for what I would consider, you know, the 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 
one of the biggest events, if not the biggest event of your life, because when you join the military, it's kind of like a water slide. You don't yeah. exactly know what all the twists and turns are going to be, but as long as you know you you get in the shoot, gravity will take you. You know, like you're going to go through boot camp. Your drill instructors are going to guide you. Your combat instructors are going to guide you through um, either ITB or MCT. You know, your A school or B school or your um, Bolic or you know they're all. We really should solidify a lot of these terms, but you know whatever your boot camp, <laughs> whatever your job training is, yep. you know, like they're they're going to push you through the pipeline, and you're going to land in the pool at the bottom of the slide in your unit, you know, and so yeah, but it's not like that on the way out because it's like once you leave the pool, like you could literally go, you know, do anything. You could go get a DUI, you know, you could shoot up in the parking lot, you could wreck your car off the bridge, like mm-hmm. you, know, you could do anything leaving the pool, and so mm-hmm. I, I think that. Uh, the the process out should be solidified a little bit more because you're mm-hmm. not prepared to leave as with the same pipeline and the same structure that you are mm-hmm. um, coming in. And so, what advice would you have for anybody who perhaps you know they're uh, you know anywhere from a week to a year out for, uh, from from separating from service? Like, what what advice do you have for them? So, my advice would be. If you, before you even think about your career, think about where you want to be a support network. And and I, I hear it so many times that a support network is like the biggest advocate in a lot of exiting service members lives, Uh, having, having someone to depend on, whether it's family, friends, or even just other service members that are from the same area in which you're going to, um, before you even think about your career, think about your support network, because that's going to help. That truly has helped me in, in my transition. And I'm, I'm still transitioning. I've been out for two years. Uh, that would be my one piece of advice. Yeah. We were on the phone the other day and uh, I asked you, I was like, you filed your VA claim, right? And you're like, oh, I just did that last week. And I'm like, really, <laughs> really, really? I like, you and I are friends and it took you <laughs> this long to file that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was a trial of circumstances, unfortunately, just because yeah. of certain decisions. Things get busy, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I get it. And, uh, you know, uh, we we can't undo the, the past. All we can try to do is make better decisions moving forward. And, you know, so uh, if you're if you're unaware of your benefits, if you're unaware of what um, entitlements there are, you know, it's just a Google away. You can call the VA. They have people, you know, they most colleges have representatives um, you know, whatever the case is. And one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is that they don't, they don't want to feel like they're taking those benefits away from somebody who really needs them. And I would offer that you're the one who really needs them. Those benefits were part of the agreement that you signed when you enlisted or when you commissioned, those are yours. Those are your rights. As much as the, um, uh, the bill of rights and, you know, the constitution are your rights. Like, those benefits are legally your right. And so you're not taking them away from somebody else who needs them. You need them. You know what I mean? It's not like every program in the VA has a, has a four-year backlog. If that was the case, and like, I could get it. Like, I get it. Like, if you don't need it, you don't need it. But that's just not the case. Those things are there for you. And at the very least, if you don't need them right this moment, being able to pull on that when you do need it or plan it in the future, like, hey, I'm going to do this for now, but in six months, I know where to go for this benefit or, Hey, I got to take care of this right now. And then, you know, sometime down the road, I'm going to hit that up. So whether, whatever your, your planning process is, those benefits are there for you. 
you deserve to use them because you served. And it was part of the contract that you signed. The Marine Corps certainly got, you know, their, their money's worth out of you. When you showed up to MEPS, you had to, you know, bend over and show a stranger your butthole. You had to duck walk. Like they got their rights out of you. You know what I mean? So there's nothing wrong with you getting your, your benefits that you've earned. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of things the VA has to offer. I know every VA experience is different. Um, my VA experience has been fantastic, uh, specifically out here at Washington State, uh, especially for the Amer- shout out American Lake VA. Thank you for taking care of me. Um, they got more things than just what the VA has to offer. They have the VA choice program, which allows you if the VA cannot get you service for what your ailment is, they will recommend you out in town to someone who can get, who can see you even sooner. I'm going through chirotherapy, been doing it for two years. I was never able to get that in the military just because of the fact that on Camp Pendleton specifically, there was one Cairo for all the Marines on base and sailors. So uh, they would recommend physical therapy until it wasn't a thing, but here at the VA, here in Washington State, I'm able to go to the VA Choice Program. Uh, those benefits definitely do help, 100%. Sure, man. Um, and I, uh, I'd like to ask, do you have any final thoughts or advice or remarks for, for anyone out there who might be listening? So I would say my final thoughts and remarks, uh, and thanks again, Dan, for having me. Um, my, final th- my final thoughts and remarks would be this. Don't don't feel like you are alone in, in, in your journey. There's always somebody that is willing to answer the phone, whether you believe it or not. Um, I reconnected with with Dan here just over a simple text message just based on, hey, is this your number? I thought about you and because I was watching the Cowboys Seahawks game. Um, don't ever think you're going alone through in this journey. There's always somebody, a random text message, a staff and CO, a fellow barracks mate that has been. Uh, that has been in your phone that you may not have thought about. And I get texts and calls all the time just from different Marines. So you're not alone on this journey. You, know, you can you can make it as long as you reach out and maintain contact. For sure. And uh, as I learned the hard way, don't uh, don't over rely on one app or platform or method of communication to keep in contact with everyone. Uh, you know, a, a phone call uh, is worth its weight in gold. And you lost your recall roster, huh? <laughs> No, I, I, I know uh, my uh, my information is out there still because every once in a while I get a phone call from my old unit asking me if uh, uh, if I if I'm coming to duty <laughs> or, or something. All Marines always call for advice all the time, no matter when, no matter where, and obviously we answer the phone calls. Uh, we, we we try to at, at least, and um, there might be the people out there that say, "Well, nobody ever calls me," and it's like, "Well, uh, you know, you can be the the first one through the door then." You know, you can be the first one on the stack. You can initiate yep. contact. Yep. Uh, you can use that uh, casualty producing sound to initiate the ambush and, you know, be the one who reaches out. And I get it. Uh, and nobody likes being the one who always has to reach out. But at the end of the day, like, you never know what that person's going through, what their headspace is at. Like, you know, you you could be just what the doctor ordered to to help them get through that day. Exactly. It's it. All it takes is one phone call, one text. Uh, don't ma- no matter who it is, it, no matter what time of night, somebody's going to get to you at some point. Don't be afraid to, to reach out. Don't feel embarrassed about anything that you may be going through, because at the end of the day, you reaching out is probably the most important thing that that person wants to hear from you. Whether you believe that it's your squad leader from 10 years ago, whether it's your barracks buddy, whether it's your staff and CO from two years ago, or you just got out, don't, mm-hmm. don't be afraid to reach out. 
Yeah. And it's always nice to be able to kind of like, uh, you know, peel the the curtain back and particularly if there was like a rank disparity, you know, back then, uh, you know, I, I've, I've rekindled with, uh, with, 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 uh, some people who are, uh, pretty high rank above me, like on my first and second deployment, but you know, it's been 15 years since that. So I, I, I can be like, yeah, you know, that one time that you couldn't understand why this was broken. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You get to talk about some, uh, some stuff that probably shouldn't have been said when you had the rank on your collar, yep. have a few laughs, they say, Oh really? And you're like, yeah, that was me. And it, uh, it, mm -hmm. it makes the day a whole lot better just to reach out and see, <laughs> see that person and, uh, what you really got away with sometimes, sometimes it's there, but you need. Right on then. Uh, so I, uh, I appreciate you coming on yep. and we certainly thank you for, uh, for your insight and uh, for all your advice. Uh, thank you for having me once again. I do appreciate being on here and uh, shout out to Dan Sharp. Thanks for having me on. And I do appreciate your friendship. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, Likewise, man. Well, fair winds following season. We'll see you next time here in the smoke pit. All right. Catch you next time, buddy.